and our district superintendent then preached a message to all of the churches about insecurity versus identity. And I looked over at Tammy because, I mean, I keep a lot of notes on my phone. So when I hear an inspiration from God or whatever, I'll open up my phone and, you know, punch in my notes, keeps all my messages on there. And I had it open to that message that I had been working on. And I, I just showed her my phone. I said, would you believe that's the exact title of the message I thought I was going to preach that Sunday? She goes, oh, that's your confirmation. Just do it. I said, no. There's no way. Because his thoughts will be in my mind, and I'll probably just end up preaching his message. She goes, oh, no, it's confirmation. Well, I, I put it aside. Anyway. God says, you know, I want you to preach that message. So I'm like, okay. So I pulled it back out again, started working on it. And Tammy, of course, took off. So I, Jessica was in the office this week with me, and I asked her, I said, what are the kids learning this week? I said, really? I said, well, don't tell me anything about it. I don't want to know. I am going to, I guess I'm trying to hear from God here, and it is our time to now hear a message about insecurity versus identity. And let me just tell you, it, this is a brief, I mean, I could go on weeks and weeks and weeks. This is huge. Our population moves by identity. Our culture moves by its identity. If you go to Benzonia, Benzonians move differently than Traversidians. Because it's an identity. Detroit people. <laughs> you can pick them out when they're walking the streets in, you know, Benzonia or Beulah. It's like, you're not from this area. It's identity. Let me just say that there's a lot to say about the label we all wear. It marks us, bends us, and even tries to direct us into our future. If you're carrying the right identity, well, that's a good thing. But if somehow you're stuck with the wrong identity, it will be disastrous. And I don't know about your TV, but for the last three days, our TV somehow got stuck on one channel, and it showed the same thing for three days. And all the football fans said, I know exactly what you're talking about. The NFL draft. It was mind-numbing to be hear that going on and on. And, and then I look over and I, again today? It's still going on? And it's like it could not even be shut off during dinner time because, you know, three boys, they're like, head, what's going on? Who is that? Brian's got his phone open to ESPN. He's even, you know, in case he missed something over there, he knows right happened right here. But something did catch my attention. It was the last man drafted. Do you know they actually gave a title to the last man drafted as Mr. Irrelevant? And I looked at Brian. I said, did they seriously just say that? Well, yeah, that's a title he'll now carry the rest of his life, Mr. Irrelevant. Because the 200 and is it 43rd, 
243rd draft pick almost never gets chosen on that team. Oh, they'll, they'll draft him that day as Mr. Irrelevant, but then he probably won't end up making the team. So he actually, didn't the jersey actually say 243, Mr. Irrelevant? How would you like to carry that label? Identified the rest of your life as Mr. Irrelevant. You see how important identity is? That label, who you are associated with, it can change your future. And let me just say right here, stop labeling yourself. We like to self-label, but usually it's never anything good. Well, my mom is, so I will be. Well, I've always, so I guess I'll always. I just can't change that. When you self-label, you're setting yourself in agreement with Satan, with your enemy. What you need to do is pick up, and we learned this in class today, in 401, our last classes. We need to think about how God sees us. How does he see us? He created us. Isn't that what's more important? It's like I love automobiles. I love cars. And it's like the, the designer of the Lamborghini or the spider. I like the spider. He knew exactly every curve, every, every little detail that he wanted that car. And then he made a speedometer that reached almost 300 miles an hour because he knew what that could do. He never expected grandma to get in it and just, well, look at it. But you got the key right here. I know what that car can do. You know, and, and they want to put it in a showroom and glass it all up and shine it all up and nobody touch it. That's beautiful, but it's not doing what the designer created it to do. It's not walking in its identity. That's the same way with us. We need to rediscover our identity, and that's the message for this morning. Rediscover our identity. The definition of identity includes the state or fact as being the same as the one described, an exact likeness in qualities and beliefs. The definition of a Christian literally means little Christ. So if I take those definitions, then the definition of a person who turns their life over to the Lordship of Christ, they become a new creation because they become a little Christ, one who represents the same likeness, qualities, and beliefs as Jesus himself. Because they are a little Christ. That's what a Christian definition is supposed to be. Yet there are too many Christians that continue to battle with insecurities. The arch nemesis, if you will, of our true identity is insecurity. Go ahead and throw a 
black cloak on him. Go ahead and dress him up. Have him sneak around in the shadows because that's what insecurity will do. It is the arch nemesis of your true identity. Never are you ever supposed to feel less than. And let me be very careful here. I'm not trying to say in a boisterous, you know, I'm better than you attitude. No, I'm not talking that. I'm talking about stepping into your true identity. An insecure Christian is like having a split personality. The world labels this as a medical imbalance emotionally, a hypocrite spiritually, and physically, well, it's just confusing. Think about Mary so-and-so who simply identified as Joe's wife. What goes to your mind when you see Mary so-and-so kissing Rick in the park? thought she was married to Joe. What is she doing kissing Rick? Physically, it's confusing. It's like a Christian who proclaims that they're more than a conqueror and that they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength, but they never step out to do anything courageous or bold. What's it for then? I mean, I could go through a, a, a list, a long list of things that God has told us to do, that we are, and yet we set, and we proclaim, but we don't do. And we don't take those steps of faith. It's a split identity. It's an insecurity. We're not standing in the identity that Christ created for us before he even knit us together in our mother's womb. Allow me to just expound a bit on the difference between insecurity and identity before we read our main scripture for today. Insecurity is security in the wrong thing. Insecurity is security in yourself, and that's why you feel insecure. You can do nothing. Apart from me, Jesus said. Nothing. All your righteous acts are like filthy rags, he says. I mean nothing. So when we feel insecure, it's because we're trying to feel secure in ourselves. And we can't ever match that. Demand that we place inside of ourselves. We need that identity. We need that connection. We need that marriage between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. God, that has to come together. And when we don't allow that to happen, then we try to find security in ourselves. And as Christians, that is a split personality. When you're trying to I say all the right things, I am, I am. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things. But we're doing everything ourselves and not measuring up and feeling like a failure. And again, would you just pray for me again? And would you just pray for me again? And I can never do anything right. And maybe I'll start doing something when I feel like this or when I feel like that. Insecurity shows itself through different forms. 
we know them mostly by a timid person, a shy person, a withdrawn person, an introvert. We call them, oh, they must battle with insecurity. But insecurity also shows itself through a, a brass, harsh person, a demanding, stubborn person, because they don't like change. They like things their way. Hoarders, greedy, prideful, it's all insecurity. Insecurity is founded in fear. Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of not measuring up, fear of being exposed. Somebody finding out. So I'll keep my distance. Fear, insecurity is founded in fear. Bill Johnson says those who live by the fear of man will try to display that they are right by how well they judge what is wrong. You ever notice somebody who's constantly talking negative about other, well, this isn't nice and that's not nice and look at those, you know, morons driving in the road. I'm the only good driver or, you know, this is, I think I said that last night. No, I didn't. Constantly negative. You know why they're constantly negative? Because they feel insecure in themselves, so they got to bring the whole world down. But somehow, maybe that will make me, my burden, a little bit lighter. Because that insecurity is like a huge burden on their shoulders. And they feel like they're constantly being judged. So instead of doing, setting back and just taking it, I'm going to start dishing it. And if I can judge and show you how many other people are horrible, wrong, and you know, sinners and blah, 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 you've heard it all, then it's not that I'm trying to, you know, live up, like God says, to the righteous standard I have for you, but I'll just drag everybody else down, and then I'll feel better. Insecurity filters everything you see and everything you hear. Someone doesn't say to you as you walk in the door on Sunday morning, somebody doesn't say, oh, you look beautiful today, Aaron. Well, Aaron leaves and says, I'm never wearing this outfit again because nobody liked it. Nobody said that. Or you walk into the room and sister so-and-so walks right by you without even saying hi. Well, I'm never coming back to that church because they're all full of their own little cliques. Nobody can ever, you know, break in and, and become friends. They're just all clicky there. I'm not, because sister so-and-so didn't say hi to me. I had one pastor I worked for that he was, and I got this way too, and I had to, I still sometimes fall back into it. I get very focused. If I got something to do, I got to go from point A to point B. I got to go. Get it done. And it was through mentoring, and I'm still struggling in this area because I tend to be uh, focused, to walk slowly through the crowd, take time to say hi to everybody, even though, trust me, you'll always miss somebody. 
But insecure people will leave and say, because pastor didn't say hi to me, I'm done. That pastor's stuck up. They don't like me. You know, they don't like anybody. I don't know. They're a dictator, you know. Because insecurity filters what you see and what you hear. You see a few people talking after service, and when you walk up to them, they stop talking and walk away. We've all experienced that one. You go home vowing you'll never get involved in that church. Because it's just a bunch of them, again, and I'm not even getting it. They don't want me involved. When in reality, the people were discussing what needs to get done before we lock up the church today. So let's hurry up and get it done so we can go to lunch. <laughs> Had nothing to do with that person. But the insecure person sees and hears things differently. And insecurity plays off from feelings. We've learned this one in our marriage life group, that feelings will always lie to you. Feelings will always lie to you, and they always exaggerate. Mm -hmm. Feelings will exaggerate, and they will lie to you. Insecurity breeds offense. A scarcity mindset and a bleacher or reporter commitment. And let me just explain that before we jump into our main scripture. Insecurity breeds offense. Joyce Myers, and I've shared this with you before, said that insecure people are easily offended. They talk negatively about themselves and others. They need excessive amounts of encouragement, and they refuse to take correction from God or anyone he might use to bring a loving correction to them. And again, there's that, if I can just bring everybody else down and everything else down, I'll somehow feel like I'm okay. Feel, again, a lie. Insecure people are fearful of the future. And so they have that scarcity, that poverty mindset that I've got to hold on, hoard, Get all I can and keep it. I read this last week, a prophecy from a sermon I was listening to. The prophecy said, The Lord is wanting to destroy the root of anxiety and fear as it pertains to money. The very anxiousness and the fear that people experience over their finances, their money, their income, or the lack thereof, that anxiety kills creativity and creativity is the venue that God honors to bring prosperity into our life. You're actually shutting the very door that God wants to bring prosperity to you through fear and anxiety. And it's like he went on to say it. It's like you're still part of the body, but you're just out of joint. You're just dislocated. It's there, but it... It's not operating the way it's supposed to. You're not doing your part and functioning as a creative influence in the body, which in itself creates prosperity. And an insecure person won't go any deeper than a bleacher or a reporter commitment. You can tell I've been talking football all weekend. In a sports arena, there are players, court coaches, reporters, and then there's always bleachers. Players have skin in the game. 
coaches keep the players encouraged and equipped and focused. Reporters sit in their comfortable boxes and just announce what should or shouldn't have happened. They're the critics. Oh, I'm here. I am very much part of the game, they'll say, because they just sat back in judgment of the game. And then there's, there's those who sat in the bleachers. Well, they're just there. Sometimes they'll cheer for you. Other times they will boo and hiss. They want the game to go just the way they want it to go. But they won't put one effort into helping you win the game. They'll just sit there. Boo, hiss. Sometimes they'll cheer. But an insecure person won't go any deeper than a bleacher or a reporter commitment. James 3, 9 and 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. There's no place in the body of Christ for reporters, critics, and for just fans. Yay! Boo, yay! Yay! You're part of the body. You're all required to do your part. If you look at your own body and you see a part of your body that's not functioning the way it's supposed to, what do you call it? There's a lot of Jody technical medical condition. There's something wrong, right? I mean, I, I think I've broken every finger in both my hands. I'm just looking at them, yeah, I think. And when you look at it, and it's going that way, when it's supposed to go that way, there's something wrong. What are you doing? And even though your body will try to mend around that and work anyway, now you're all looking at my fingers. Stop looking at my fingers. Insecure over my fingers. Even though the body will come around it and they will try to mend it, it's still not the same. There's still something wrong. There's no place in the body of Christ for dislocated, disjointed, broken, lame members. We're all supposed to be doing our part. And let me tell you, have you ever... Stub that little stinking toe down there? I felt it in my earlobe. My ear was screaming. I hurt. And I'm like, it wasn't even you. Toe down there. But the ear felt it. I just sat down during worship for a while because these new shoes, although they're cute, they hurt. Because they are not stretched out yet. And I mean, I was, I was distracted. I couldn't even focus. I had to sit down for a minute to take my focus off what was hurting to be able to focus on what I was supposed to do. Insecurity is founded in fear, but identity is founded in love. 
So how do we rediscover our identity? Here's your main scripture for today before we close. Colossians chapter 3. Here's how we rediscover our identity. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, greed is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also, also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And then he lists some things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. And then he goes on to say, here there are no Gentile, no Jew. Here it is. All these labels slapped on us by the world. And he says, no, rip them all off. That doesn't matter. You are little Christs, born in the image of God. And once you learn how to... Set aside everything else, which I'm going to show you these five points. Then you can be renewed in the knowledge of your image, which is supposed to be in the image of God. So here's five steps to identifying or rediscovering, sorry, rediscovering your identity. Verse 1 says, set your heart. We need to set our heart on what God desires. Set on heart. So that it removes everything else that might take preoccupation, might take our affection, might take our attention. Put everything else aside. John 5.20 says, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Set your heart. That's always part of my prayer. God, help my heart to beat the same as yours. God, don't let anything crowd you out of the throne of my heart. You alone have that place. Don't let anything crowd you out. Set your heart. Number two, set your mind. Set your mind. Those who live according to the flesh, Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I once heard Max Lucado tell a boy that just because you have a thought doesn't mean you need to think it. We're still earthly beings. And junk just kinds of, it kind of just comes across our mind. I mean, I've had things come across my mind and I'm like, where did that come from? 
like Max Licato said, you don't have to sit there and dwell on it now. Get it out of there. I, I think I was telling my mom, she was telling me of this awful situation, these things that can happen on Facebooks, these pictures that can pop up. And she goes, it was horrible, Brenda. I said, stop talking like that. You're, my mind is starting to create an image, you know? And I don't even know what she saw or what was on there, but my mind's saying, ooh, let's think about that. And I'm like, no. Set your minds. Doesn't mean just because something popped up in your mind, you have to set. You have to purposely set your mind not on earthly things, but on spiritual things, things that God desires. Number three, put to death your flesh. Oh, it's going to hurt. Your flesh wants what your flesh wants. And it's usually nothing beneficial. Because let me tell you, if asparagus tasted good, I'd probably be a little less chunky. But brownies taste better. Cupcakes taste good. Veggies don't, unless you smother them with butter or cheese. I know, now we're all... Brian has snacks right over here. <laughs> oh, they're gone. They're gone. Oh, sorry. You need to put to death your flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. Oh, that we could attain with the three clicks of our heels. I want a better, you know. Oh, Lord, help me not desire cupcakes, you know. Make them all taste like asparagus to me. We have to put to death. Put to death, crucify, crucify, crucify your flesh. Down, boy, down. I think we were saying that last night. Oh, I heard his stomach growling. That's what it was. Sitting on the couch, he goes, did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, what was that? It's like, that was my stomach. I'm like, I feel like going to get a whip in a chair. Down, boy, down. Get back. Quit. I'll stop feeding you. Be quiet. Put to death your flesh. Four, rid yourselves. Rid yourself. This is a very important step. This is talking about clean the house. Clean the house. Yeah, not just clean. I hate cleaning the house. But it says in verse 8, it says there, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, now it's time to rid yourself. I remember when I led Brian to the Lord when we were first dating, he had a huge collection of records. It's those big round things like this for those who are younger than me. They're vinyl. Thing. You actually put it on a machine and it spun around. Never mind. It's like a CD times 100. But anyway, put a little anyway, he had this huge collection of records, you know, and a nice stereo. That stereo system was bigger than me. You know, the speakers were bigger than me. And, uh, led him to the Lord. He has come to church and we started watching this video series that specifically talked about if you were doing these things in the past, you shouldn't be doing them in your new life that's supposed to be hidden with Christ, new creature, creature, little Christ, you know? And so on his own, he said, Brenda, I think I'm supposed to let all those go. And I don't remember if you gave them away or you just, I don't remember. 
Back then, we used to burn everything. Remember? Woohoo! Yeah, who does that now? I don't know. That kind of stuff usually happens outside, Pastor Denny. Outside. We used to burn things outside. Anyway. Yeah, what are they talking about? They had a burning ceremony in youth on Thursday night, and they did it inside the sanctuary. Anyway. Anyway, but rid yourself, yeah, <laughs> rid yourself. Give a, you know, if you got stuff in your, look around. Look around. You know, I'm not talking about that you have to pretend you're something that you're not. You know, when God puts his finger on a certain area, whatever it is, it could be something really stupid to everybody else, but to you, that one thing reminds me of my old life. And I need to rid myself of it. For me, it was, you know, I'm not condemning it, nor do I, you know, want to try to put something on you that's not there. But for me, it was, music was a huge part of my party in life. So when God finally put his finger on me that, you know, nothing good is coming through your mind when you listen to this, I had to rid myself of it. And I did not, Christian music was so stupid back then. It still kind of is. I mean, sometimes you get something really, really good, but I mean, back then it was like, that's not even enjoyable. You know? feel like I need to be on my knees and really, you know, uh, but anyway, that's good. That's good. But rid yourself of anything associated with your own life. He's trying to tell you all the practices, everything. And huge Huge scripture, Ephesians 5, or 4, 25 through 32. I'll jump right down here at the bottom. Verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving others, just as Christ forgave you. And then the fifth thing, the last thing, is put on the new self. Put on the new self. You can't just think that you can clean house and get rid of this and get rid of that and you'll be okay. You've just stripped everything away and now you have an empty house. you got to put on the new self. Verse 10 said, in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. There it is again. If you think it, you're probably going to do it. Where did that just go? It just totally, my iPad just jumped. It wanted me to go right. Okay, anyway. Uh, put together your former way you were taught in regard. There it is. The new in the attitude of your mind. And put on the new self created to be like God. You were created to be like God. You were created in the image of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And that's what this verse 10 that we read, our main scripture, that when we put on the new self, 
we can be renewed in the knowledge of the image of Christ. The whole term there, renewed in the knowledge, is talking about when renewed means that something happened and it's got to go back. It's got to be renewed, remade. It's like, you know, the potter and, and the, you know, vase that he starts and, you know, it just starts looking like something I would make and he has to smash it down again and renew it, rebuild it. Renewed means to rebuild. Bring it back to the original intention. So renewed in knowledge into the image of its creator means that once we do these five things and put on that new self, that then the knowledge, which knowledge is the learning, the uh, gained through gained experience. That's what knowledge is. It's learned or gained through experience. That once we start walking in that new image, that new self, then our mind can start being renewed into the original image because it gains experience. Oh, I am more than a conqueror because I just stepped out and I conquered that sucker back there. Oh, sorry, Amy. I conquered that thing back there. And I am and can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because I just did this and I just did that. And I can do more miracles, like Jesus said, than he even done because I just laid hands on sister so-and-so and they're healed. Not because of anything I did or you did in ourselves. That's insecurity and that will topple, that will fall. But because I've taken the identity, the original intention for this design, the very image of God, and began walking in it. And I gained experience, and that's gaining that knowledge. And I can be renewed in the knowledge of my created original image. Then I am more than a conqueror. Then I am a little Christ that's identified with his interest, his beliefs. I am a little original. Oswald Chambers says, The nature of everything involved in the life of God in us is only discerned when we have been through it and then it is in our past. Let me say that again. The nature of everything involved in the life of God in us is only discerned. We can only truly understand it when we've been through it and it now lays in our past. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what the opinion is of the culture. Doesn't matter. I know because I went through it and it is now written in my history. And because that's written in my history, I know I can do this. And now that I went through and it's now in my history. So that means I can do that. I mean, how did we finally break the, what was it, the minute mile? Remember that story how many years ago? Years and years and years. People knew. Doctors would stand up and ardently declare that no man will ever be able to run one mile in one minute. Forget it. It is one minute. Four minutes? Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, one minute? Wow, that would be fast. But thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Four minutes. Said, no way it can't ever be done. 
until the first one said, I'm going to try. I'll keep pushing in. I'll keep pushing. The minute that man broke that record, oh, well, hey, I guess we can do this. But we had to be, they had to be renewed in the knowledge that it can happen. And the minute that it was, they were through it and it was now in their history, then other people around them said, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. You see what can happen when we begin to step into the image that we were created to bear? The identity of a real Christian? Again, insecurity is founded in fear. Identity is founded in love. 1 John 4, 8. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out, removes all, wipes it away, disperses it like light flipped down in a dark room, any fear. It can't stand in the face of perfect love. So if you're battling with insecurity, you need to get in the light of love. You need to let it all go. I can't do this. Stop trying to think you can do it. I can do this. I can do that. You can't. And you want to get rid of that bitterness? I mean, I battled with that for years. I hated being bitter. I hated having these outbursts of anger. I hated, you know, and are we all there yet? No, not really. But a lot better than we used to be. And I'm still growing. We're still growing. But the only way I could remove that insecurity is when I took on his identity. When I let him recreate, renew in my mind the knowledge that I was intended to look like and be like and be from the inside out, his image bearer. That's our true identity. So let me just close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, that you created us with your very breath. You put your face to our face and you breathe life into us. You created us in your image. God, and you went before us, and as we can see in the history of the Bible, over and over again, you fought our battles. You've broken every chain. You've defeated every enemy. And your word even says that you lay out a banquet table for us in the presence of our enemy. You've done it all. All we have to do is let go of all our preconceived ideas of what we think we are or what others have placed upon us, labels, Mr. Irrelevant, less than. And when we remove those and stand in your perfect love, that we can breathe in your presence, God, and be renewed in the knowledge of who you created us to be. In your very image. God, I pray right now that insecurity has to flee right now in the name of Jesus. In the presence of your love that's here today, insecurity and fear has to go in Jesus' name. If that's you, if you're battling with insecurity, just say that right now, right where you sit. Fear you have to go in Jesus' name.
God, I receive all your love that you have for me. I receive all your love you have for me. All your love, your perfect love casts out all fear. No longer will we walk in insecurity, but we will be secure in you. It's your love. It's your image that we bear. Your word says that you are the lifter of our heads. So right now, God, just put your hand upon our chin and lift our head to be able to look at you, God. Have your way. Have your way. Heal hearts. Renew minds. Mm, Perfect love. Just pour out. Perfect love. Perfect love. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Have your way. Have your way. While every head's bowed, every eye's closed, I don't want to dismiss today without asking if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that I want to give opportunity before everyone leaves, and I want to pray with you. So with every head bowed, eyes are still closed, just between you, me, and what's more important between you and God, just raise your hand and say, Pastor Brenda, I need to start a new relationship with Jesus Christ. I see your hand. Are there others? I want to start a new relationship. I'm ready to become an image bearer. Walk in the very image that I was created to carry, and that's the image of God. I just want to pray with you. All right, let's do this. That's you. It's just a simple prayer. Again, it's not between you and a church. It's not between you and a pastor. It's between you and God. That Jesus came to die to take the penalty for all our sins upon the cross. He bared all of our sin. And he made a way for us to have a perfect relationship with God again. It's by his blood like we took in, during communion in that remembrance time. And so right now, just pray in your heart, pray out loud. You know that God forgive me for living life on my own, for doing things my own way. God forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for anything, Lord that you see in me. Search me and know if there's any wicked way in me. God, I ask you to forgive me for that. And I accept today the very, uh, all that Jesus did for me, personally, for me, while I was still a sinner, that he died for me to be washed white as snow, to me made right with you, God. And I accept that. And that you raised him from death to life. He's now seated with you at the right hand of you, God, praying and interceding for me to have everything that he died for me to have. I receive that now in the name of Jesus. And I commit to live my life with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength as you, Jesus, the Lord, leader of my life. Amen.